Yeah. So I thought he'd come back to service. I said, well, he won't play for me. Well, good morning. It is good to see you. I know that um, you're all still hanging out and talking, and we got people still coming in, but I just want to get us started on time or two minutes late. It's my fault. So, um, but we're glad that you're here, and let me welcome you. Um, why don't you go ahead and do what you're already doing? Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? All right, you can be seated. 
It is really good to have you here at First Baptist, and um, we want to welcome you here. I would, I would like to call your attention just real quickly to a couple of opportunities for you if you'll look in the worship guide under announcements. Um, Discipleship University begins back this week, and there are several classes taking place for you ladies. And also, um, we were supposed to have a guest coming in to speak, but he, um, he fell, had, he blacked out, fell, hit his head, and had a very severe concussion, and his doctors told him he needed to back off on speaking and counseling. And so he's not going to be there, but I'm going to continue at least for six weeks the psalm and prayer. I've been doing it in the mornings, and I'll continue to do it at least for a while in the mornings and at night. So it'd be the same thing. So some of you might not be able to make it at 6.30 at night, but you can come at 9 in the morning. We'll do both of those. And it'll just be teaching through the psalm and then praying at the end. And, um, and so we encourage you. We'll meet in the sanctuary at least this week. You see the several ladies' classes that are going on. Children's activities, all those are beginning. Today was the first day in the new Sunday school classes. And our students, um, I know last week we're at a combined event, but everybody's going to be at Petros, the youth house between here and CVS, and everything will be going there in our student ministry on Wednesday night. And then the two things with the men, the Sons of Thunder, this is the last day to register for the fish fry, and um, we're going to have that. It'll be a time of fellowship. We have a guest coming in and talk to us, and then ladies, the well gathering will be next Sunday right in here, a time of testimony and prayer. Our own um, Laura Cowher will be um, sharing her testimony, and there'll be a time of worship and prayer. So please sign up for those things. But we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? Amen. All right. Our call to worship is um, right here on the screen in front of you. So read it real quick. Just silently, this is it's three or four verses, but look at this verse real quick, and then let's read it out loud together. Are we ready? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is God's word. Thank you. You know, we, um, we, we keep reminding you of this, but Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. And we're trying to do that regularly as a, as a church, whether we're quoting it together or reading it together and studying it in the sermons. Um, we, we just remind you, we started back in Genesis the first Sunday of the year, and we're making our way at least one passage through each book of the Bible. And so Keith Moore is going to come and read to us from the book of Amos. Let's listen to the Word of God today. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. For I know how many are your transgressions. And how great are your sins, you who afflict the righteous and who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said, 
hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Keith. Let's continue to worship church. Let's stand. I love that scripture. Thank you so much. Um, this song is our testimony. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his child. We are a child of love. So let's worship. Let's celebrate this morning who we are in Christ.
are still waking up this morning, but we're his child. Amen.
fighting a battle, God, that you have already won. Father, no matter what we go through in this life, which there can be so many difficult and hard things, but Father, because of the cross, we can go through each one knowing that the battle has already been won. Father, help us to rest in that truth. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the death of your son on a cross. Thank you for your resurrection. And Father, we simply want to honor you today with our, not only with our lips, but Father, that our hearts would match what our lips are singing about today. Father, I pray that you would move in a mighty way, that there would be no wondering that we have been in your presence today, Father. We long for you. We desire to seek your face. Help us to speak and live the name of Jesus everywhere that we go. Father, we pray over our families today and we speak Jesus over them in your most 
precious name, Jesus. Amen. Your name is power, your name is power. 
do something we haven't done in a while and that is to humble ourselves and you may not physically be able to do it but I'd like to call on you just if you can to kneel right where your chair is um, if you need to come to the front to do that but to humble ourselves before God and let's cry out to him on behalf of our families the strongholds in our life Let's not lose what we've been singing. We operate from victory, not for victory. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And maybe you've got struggles in your own life and struggles in your family's life. 
Maybe this morning there are those who are lost. Maybe you have prodigals who are not walking with Christ. Would you call out their names to the Lord? Would you ask Him? Would you ask Him to move? God, we come before you. Not out of deserving you, but by your grace. We call upon you today, Lord, and ask that you'd move in our family. That you move over the strongholds in our life. That we would understand the victory you've earned for us and we would live in it through the power of your spirit. I pray for those who are lost around us. I pray that they would be saved. I pray for our prodigals, God, that they would come home. For our children and grandchildren, that they would have a heart for you. That they would desire you. That we would love you above all things. And love our neighbors, we love ourselves. I pray, Father, for this lost world. May we be the church you've called us to be. I pray, Father, for our country and the nations around us. As we see in Scripture, we pray that the nations would call upon you and be saved. We ask for a revival, Lord, for an awakening. We love you, Lord. David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. You have been so good to us. You forgive our iniquities. You heal our diseases. You save our lives from the pit. You crown us with glory and strength and honor. We praise you, Father. again, Lord, I just ask that you would live and listen to the heart of your people as they call names upon you. We ask that you would move. We humble ourselves before you and confess that you are God. You are Abba Father. You, you're a friend that seek us closer than a brother. And yet we do not forget that you are God and you are holy. So we bless your name. We praise you. Thank you for the music today. Thank you for drawing our hearts towards your throne. And now as we come to your word, admittedly a, a strong text from James hard words but also hope would you speak to our hearts today I pray in Jesus name
I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of James. James chapter 4. I don't often brag on them, but um, I sure am thankful for Kim and the guys and the way they lead us week after week. And today was just um, one of those days that I think we, we may not realize how good we have it with the leadership that we have up here leading us and the guys who operate to, in the sound. And I'm just thankful. Um, of course, my favorite actually leads worship, as you know. I, I'm married to her, so she better be my favorite, right? But, uh, but I, I just, I'm so thankful for her gifts and for all the gifts up here. It's just a blessing, and it's good to see the cohesion that comes together from playing week after week together. So, Thank you. James chapter 4. It's been a couple of weeks because I was out. And so I want to read verses 1 through 6, but I think it'll just be verses 4 through 6 on the screen. So if you can, stand in honor of the reading and preaching of God's Word. And let's start with verse 1, and then the screen will pick up with verse 4. James says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet, and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you, you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Look at that again. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. As I, as I laid out the preaching outline, I, I try at the beginning of a book series to, to kind of go through. I don't always keep it. Sometimes I preach longer in verses than I think. Sometimes I combine them and go a little quicker. But I try to lay it out and, and, and preach it in the size that I think I can deal adequately with it in the, in the time that we have. And, 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 but I was going through it and... And the last three or four sermons have been difficult passages because James is not pulling any punches. It's, I thought about it as I was looking at it this week. A part of me wishes I would have just approached this whole section like ripping off a Band-Aid. If you pull it slow, it just kind of hurts more. If you just rip it on off, it's a lot better. And maybe we should have dealt with all these verses all at one time because, again, James doesn't pull any punches. And it's, it's almost like he's doing everything in the last three or four sermons to set us up for the knockout punch that he delivers today. All the way through the, the first three chapters and coming into the fourth chapter, He's referred to the people who are reading. If you remember, they are Jewish believers who have been dispersed and, and because of the persecution. And so he's writing to them, and he uses the word over and over again, brothers. 
And what I've tried to tell you each time is implied in that is brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, it probably should be just written that way, brothers and sisters. He's writing to the body of Christ, and it's a a term of endearment and a term of love. And he uses it nine times up to this point. But he comes from from brothers and brothers and brothers, and then he hits verse 6 or verse 4, and he says, you adulterous people. You don't have to be a student of the Bible to say, "Uh uh-oh, the tone has changed. Something's different. And James comes and he hits it hard, and, and he's saying this in the context of the quarrels that are coming out of selfish ambition, out of bitter jealousy, out of earthly and demonic wisdom. It's coming out of disorders that we've been looking at and every vile practice that James has talked about. He gives us the source of the conflict. It's the evil one. He's told us that a couple of times, that that these words are coming from Satan, that this wisdom is coming from from him. And and, and so he he gives us the source of the conflict. But but now as we're going to see in the very first thing, he gives us the danger, the danger of it. One of the things I just want you to remind remind you of is this is probably the first New Testament book written. It's the earliest one. Now, chronologically, it's not first. Obviously, the Gospels are first chronologically. They begin with the birth of Jesus. But but this is the first letter written. So it's the earliest letter in the New Testament. And, and, and But here's the danger is that we in our culture today may say, man, that's, that's old. It's not relevant for us today. But the truth is, even though this is written in the very beginning, some 60, 30 years after Jesus walked the earth and resurrected from the dead, some 30 or 40 years after that, this is just as relevant to us as it was to them. Look at it, verse 4. You adulterous people. And, and I'm going to say, James is going to hit us hard, but he's going to give us some hope. So, so hang with me. Don't just write it off. But this is the danger. You adulterous people, do you not know... That friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a mouthful. And what I thought we might be able to do is understand it better if we just broke it down into three words that jump out at me. I think they probably jump out at you too. First is the word adulterous. Why would James call them adulterous people? I don't believe he's talking about physical adultery between a man and a wife or a man and his lover or a woman and her lover. He's talking about spiritual adultery. And he's dealing with our relationship with God. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the prophets pictured the relationship that we have with God as that of a marriage. New Testament does it as well. It's all the way through. Marriage is is, is in the news a lot today. And one of these days when the text allows me, I will deal with it. But let me just say to you a couple things about physical marriage and spiritual marriage. First of all, it's God's idea. It was first God who came up with it. He came up with it in the garden. Second, it was God's plan. God laid out the plan for marriage. And the third thing I would say to you is it's within God's parameters. We operate not out of our own parameters. We don't operate out of the government's parameters. As a people of God, we operate out of scriptural parameters. 
And marriage is God's plan, it's God's idea, and it operates out of God's parameters. And that is true of, of, of earthly, physical marriage, like the marriage I have with Kim, but it's also especially true of the marriage, that relationship we have with God the Father. It's His idea, it's His plan, and it comes according to His parameters. And as we look at this, it, it points this marriage relationship. So the relationship that I have with Kim, the relationship that Carson has with my daughter, the relationship that any of you have with your spouse, that relationship is, is supposed to point to our relationship with God. It's supposed to show the intimacy that we can have with God the Father. The most intimate relationship that is given to us on earth is given as a picture of our relationship with God. That's Paul's point in Ephesians when he says this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'll give you three different verses, okay, that talk about this in Old Testament. First of all, Isaiah 54 Verses 5 and 6. Listen to these words. These are, these are incredible words when you hear them. Listen to what God says. For your maker is your husband. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your God we were cast off we were deserted we were grieved we were sinful and God called us into that marriage relationship isn't that unbelievable for your maker is your husband it's a picture of the relationship that Israel had with God and that the people of God now as a church have with God Jeremiah three twenty. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband. Now, it's true that a husband that leaves his wife is treacherous as well, but he's picturing, he's picturing something for us. Is Israel leaving God. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me. This is God speaking. O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So when the people of God walked away from God, they were committing what James is calling adultery spiritual adultery now i don't have time to get into all of it but i would encourage you to go back and read the prophet hosea hosea was was an interesting prophet in an interesting time israel had had walked away from god and and so god called hosea to marry a prostitute in this in this country he's called to marry this prostitute and that relationship between the prophet and the prostitute was to serve as a physical example of the spiritual relationship between God and Israel. So God calls the prophet to marry this prostitute to show how God's relationship had been prostituted by the people. And I'm going to read these words. These are strong words. They're, they're, they're striking for us in, in Hosea 2, verses 5 through 7. For the mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully, for she said... I go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She's going after them instead of God. Therefore, I will hedge, this is God, I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them and she shall seek them but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go now 
in return to my first husband for what's better for me than now. That's graphic. But it pictures what God says in Isaiah and what God says in Jeremiah and now in Hosea that our relationship with God is, is like a marriage. And, and when we sin against God, it's, it's spiritual adultery. James goes on to talk about this in, in the word friendship. Friendship. We, we use the word pretty casually today, don't we? we? We talk about people being our friends. You know, I've got friends on Facebook that I've never met, okay? How are they really friends? I, I was laughing. One of the guys was telling me yesterday that, that, um, that he heard this guy say about his father, well, he's my best friend. He asked his father about it and says, I don't know why he says that. He's not my best friend. And so we use the word friend pretty casually, and it's usually in terms of acquaintance now. But the word that James uses is a word that's built off of a word that means brotherly love. And so it's more along the lines, not a friend like maybe an acquaintance on social media or an acquaintance that you see in school one period of day or, or an acquaintance that you, you know, maybe you go through the same restaurant and you built an acquaintance with someone, but you've never done anything other than, than buy that coffee from them. He uses a word that, that's more of what we might just say, well, that's my best friend. That's my closest friend. That's, that's someone that, that we share um, a common mindset or common desires or, or common outlooks in life. It's, it's, it's a love. And here's what God says is, is that we were friends in the world. Now, the world in this context is, is, is the world that is being governed by Satan. It's a world system. And that's the world that we were born into. And when we were saved, we stepped out of that and we were born again. And we entered into a relationship with God. We were married to this, but now we've been married to God. And what God is saying is that when we get married to him and we continue to flirt with the world and keep trying to have one foot in and one foot out, that's friendship with world, which brings the third word, enmity with God. That word enmity is a very strong word. But it, we've talked about it and looked at it, and what he's saying is, is that when you, when you have exchanged vows with God and you then try to live over here like you're not really with God, you put yourself in the position of being opposed by God. Opposed by the omnipotent one. That's a dangerous place to be. When we're saved, I want you to hear me. When we're saved, we exchange vows with God. We go through baptismal waters, as we saw last week. And when we're baptized, we're promising that we will serve God and follow God and give our life for God. We, we enter into a relationship with God that is so intimate that the only thing that, that, that is used in the earth to picture that is, is marriage. We enter that type of relationship with God. With God. We, we are brought into Christ and Christ is now brought into us. And just as I'm one with Kim, 
I'm now one with Christ. I'm one with him. He's in me. I'm in him. And to have that relationship through being born again, and again, then to flirt with the world causes God to be opposed to us. It causes a jealousy in God that is rightful because it comes out of genuine love. It's spiritual adultery. And it puts us in opposition against God. There's there's no other way to see it. We say, okay, I see the danger you're talking about, but what's what's the reason that it's so dangerous? Well, look at verse 5. Look at the reason. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over us, or excuse me, over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I just want to leave that verse up there for a while because we're going to talk about it. This is one of the most difficult passages in James to understand, to interpret. You say, well, that's pretty clear, but, well, let me just kind of tell you what I mean. There's two reasons it's difficult. One is, look at that, it says, you just suppose that the Scripture says. Whenever I see the, the phrase in the New Testament, the Scripture says, I begin to look back to see where the Scripture says it. I want to see, is it quoted in the Psalms? Is it quoted by the prophets? Is it quoted somewhere else? And so I, I, I do the easiest thing. I have a Bible program on my phone, and I just go to it. I pull it up, and it says, cited in Psalm whatever. Well, there's no verse in the Old Testament that says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. So... Why does James say the Scripture says? Is he quoting something outside of Scripture? No. What James is doing was what we might do if we're summing something up. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He's he's talking about friendship with the world. And he's showing us why it's so dangerous. And what he does is he sums up all the teaching of Scripture. And he says, here's the teaching. God yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. He's not quoting it. He's summing it up. It's, it's what we find, for example, in, in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see this all the way through Scripture. Now, here's our problem. We, we hear the word jealous, and we often think of that irrational husband or that irrational wife who's convinced that their spouse is having an affair and they're just crazy and they go nuts. And we think about that and that's what we're thinking about when we think about jealousy. That's not the kind of jealousy that God has over us. Kim and I exchanged vows. We were married. be 30 years ago this November 6th. Now, I trust her, okay? I trust her wholeheartedly. And you could come up to me and say, hey, I, I think Kim's got a little thing going with somebody else. I'm going to look at you and say, you're crazy. That's not my wife. They say, John, no. I saw her, and they showed me a picture of her going into a hotel room or something else. What would it say about my feelings for Kim if I'd say, if he can stand it, so can I? What would it say about our relationship if I sincerely said that, like, I don't care. 
No big deal. What would you think about my love for her? About my commitment to her? You would think something's wrong. No, if, if, I, if I knew that, I'm driving to that hotel. I'm, I'm knocking a door down. I'm hoping the Spirit gets control of me before I get into the room. Because I love my wife. And I care for her, and I don't want anyone else to have the relationship I have with her. Does that make sense? That love, that jealousy comes out of genuine love. I genuinely love her. I genuinely care for her. The truth is, God genuinely loves you. And he cares for you. And when we break the vows that we've taken with him... We're going to look at this more in a moment. It affects him. And he begins to yearn jealously over us. It's a holy jealousy that God has. It's a jealousy that comes because he knows that no one should be loved more than him. Because there's no one greater than him. So he wants us to love him as we should. So that so that we can be what we're called to be. Now, there's another word here that makes it hard to understand. And, and, and pull that verse back up, Job, verse 5. It's the word spirit, okay? The Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit. Now, the ESV has made an interpretation. They've decided that's not the Holy Spirit. And that's the question. Is, is the spirit there the Holy Spirit or our own spirit? Let me just tell you, I think the ESV is wrong there. I, I think that ought to be a capital S. That God the Father yearns jealously over the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that he has made to dwell inside of us. When we're saved, when we're born again, the Spirit seals that relationship. I did a wedding yesterday, and, and I reminded the couple that the rings they put on were a constant reminder of their commitment to one another. I, I don't have to have a piece of paper that says Kim and I are married. I made vows with her in that married that we were brought together at that moment. We were sealed together in God's eyes. And when we come to the relationship with Christ, the way that God seals that relationship is he puts himself in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. I mentioned this several weeks ago. The Holy Spirit is sensitive. He's very sensitive. Let me remind you, he does not adjust to us. We must adjust to him. He's not going to say, okay, okay, I'll just let you live in that sin for a little while and, and you can be fine. No, he, he doesn't do that. And there's two things about the Spirit's sensitivity that the Scripture tells us. One is our sin grieves him and the other is it quenches him to grieve him is, is to hurt him the Holy Spirit is hurt by our sin we need to have such a relationship with him that we know when we've grieved him because we feel it the quench him is to put out the flame now this happens for ladies and men but it's primarily a thing that happens in men okay you're driving down the road, your wife is, is, is two feet away from you, and everything's been great, but all of a sudden you've noticed for the last few miles she's still two feet away, but
but now she's about 10,000 miles away. So what do you do? What is it? What's wrong? You know, nothing. You know then. No, 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 really. What's wrong? Nothing. If I got to tell you, it's not worth it. Now, I've learned not to ask three times. Because usually on the third time, I'm going to get bombarded with what's wrong. But I, I usually will say, I say, okay, baby, it's the last time I'm going to ask. But what did I say? What did I do? I'm sorry. We know the relationship has been grieved. Can we get to the place with the Holy Spirit that we know the relationship has been grieved? And what Paul is, James is saying, and what Paul teaches us with the teaching on yearning and grieving is, when we try to be friends with the world and still married and dating in that relationship and yet married to God, we grieve him. And the relationship is never where it ought to be. The fellowship is never what it ought to be. Now, I'm saying all this, and you say, okay, but what's the hope here? Everything you've been giving us is, 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 is heavy and hard. What's the hope? And, and I would just give you three things that are not going to be on the screen, but three things to write down about the hope. First, write down the love. The love. You say, where do you see the love? The love is God has entered a marriage relationship with us. That's how much he loves you. He gave us marriage, picture that relationship. He gave us marriage to, to show the world what that relationship can be and what, to show us what that relationship can be. But, but that's, the, that's the love that God has for us. He enters. We're the bride of Christ. That's why Isaiah can say, the creator is your, the, your maker is your husband. We're the bride of Christ. Well, the love is shown in the marriage, but the extent of the love is that he yearns for us. Job, could you bring verse 5 up again? The extent of love is that he yearns for us. So you, you see it. He, he, he enters a marriage relationship. That's, that's an ultimate relationship that is love. And then he yearns for us. That's, that's the extent of that love. But notice this. The, the passion of that love is that he yearns jealously over. There's the hope that we have, that God wants that relationship with us. Whoever you are and whatever you've done, God wants that relationship with you, that marriage relationship. Now, there's one more thing I want you to see, and that's the source. The source. Look at it. But he gives more grace. No matter what you face, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are or who people say you are, please hear me. There's more grace in God than there is sin in you. You hear that again? There's more grace in God than there is sin in you. I'll take it a step further. There's more grace in God than there is sin in this whole world. His grace, when you repent and come to him, will cover your sin. 
No matter what you've done, when you run back to him, he will give you, look what he says, more grace. More grace. You don't run out of grace. It's like, nope, I, I gave it to you and we're saved. That's it. It's more grace and more grace and more grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. If you find yourself in spiritual adultery this morning, I'd say if you find yourself in physical adultery this morning, draw near to God and find His grace. You want proof? Two verses. Romans 5, second half of verse 20 and 21. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteous Righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then John 1.16. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace upon grace. So James 4, the last verse of our, verse 6 is true. God opposes the proud. To commit spiritual adultery and refuse to repent is pride. To know that you've become friends with the world and you're no longer friends with God and to refuse to repent is pride. To set yourself as opposite of God is pride. And listen to what he says. God opposes the proud. This is an Old Testament teaching. It's taught here. It's also taught by Peter. God opposes the proud. Omnipotent God to put yourself in friendship with the world and not do what God has called you to do. God will oppose you. God will. But, capital B-U-T, but, if you come to him and confess your sin as sin, if you come to him and, and repent and turn away from that sin, he gives more grace. The picture of this, and this is my close, the picture of this is the prodigal son. He went off and wasted everything the father gave him. He insulted the father in more ways than we could ever imagine. And yet when he came home, the father was looking for him. And cultural experts tell us the reason the father ran to a son is because he knew if the people of the village got to the son before he did, they would curse him and kick him out and ban him and banish him. So the father runs. Old men in that day never ran, and they never showed their, their legs, and he pulled up his robes, and he ran. And what did he do? He got to the son, and he wrapped his arms around the son, and he forgave him. He put a robe back on him and a ring showing his sonship back on him and gave him sandals for his feet showing that he was a son. And he took him back into the house and he killed the fatty calf and the musicians cranked up and, and the party started and, and there was dancing and everything you could imagine. They celebrated because he was dead but now he's alive. And listen to me. That story can be true of any one of us no matter what you've done. If you will confess your sins as sin, and repent and come back to the Father. Amen? So let me ask you to bow your heads just for a moment. Kim and the guys are going to come lead us. Let me ask you this. How's your marriage?
I mean the marriage with God. How's your relationship with the Father? Have you been born again? Have you entered into that relationship with him? How's that relationship that you have with the Father? As a believer, as a brother and sister in Christ, are you friends with God? Are you more apt to be friends with the world? Would you look at your relationship with God and let let the Father speak to you for a moment? Maybe you've grieved him and you've not asked him what's wrong. And maybe as you ask him today for the first time or as you listen to him, the Spirit might whisper some things that you've said and shouldn't have said or supposed to have said and you didn't say or you did and you shouldn't have done them. Maybe the Lord will lay something on your heart Satan will try to make you feel guilty and shamed. The Holy Spirit will lead you to conviction and wholeness. So as we sing in just a moment, you ask the Father what you should do today. As a matter of fact, would you just pray this prayer? Holy Spirit, what would you want me to do right now? Holy Spirit, what would you want me to do right now? That's what we're asking of you, whatever he leads you to do. Let's stand together and sing. Tim and I are here. If we can help you in any way, you let us know. Let's sing together.
if you walk out of here having heard what I said, you feel shame and dirty and you haven't listened to me. You see, Hosea's wife, the prostitute, went back to prostitution. But God sent her, sent him back to get her. She'd been sold and he bought her back, brought her home, treated her as his wife. It's a picture of Israel. They had kept going back to where they came from, but God kept pursuing, like we just saying. And when God forgives you, He He washes you. And God clothes you with righteousness. Not your own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. There's no shame in being the bride of Christ. There's just conviction where you come back and say God I'm sorry I failed you here and, and you find the prodigal father the prodigal son the father of that story embracing you and restoring you so you don't have to be in shame you can be in righteousness you can be in a relationship with him that's unlike anything else the world could ever give I can't be the Kim what she needs and she can't be to me what I need but, but I'm satisfied in the Father He meets my every need every need let's pray together Father thank you thank you for the way you've moved in people's lives today and, and I realize that you move in those who come forward and you move in those who, who for whatever reasons stay where they are and I understand sometimes there are many reasons for that. And so I don't make light of that. I thank you. And I just ask today, Lord, that we would think seriously about our relationship with you and the vows we made, that we might be faithful to you. Help us to walk in you, I pray. In Jesus' name. Before you leave, can we get the lights up? Let me just, just tell you something I thought about this past week. Um, in McDonald's, of all places, okay? I know I don't need to be at McDonald's, but somebody said, that's killing you. I said, yeah, but it sure does taste good as I'm dying. Those French fries. Anyway, used to be three or four dollars, now it's ten dollars, okay? And, and I was thinking about it. You know, we, we, we constantly run into problems with our budget and other things. And, and here's what I was thinking. We have about 200 giving units in our church, Okay. More than that, give, but there's about 200 families that give in our church. And here's what I just want to challenge you to pray about. If we all gave $10 more a week, now some of you $10 would be a huge sacrifice and you may not be able to do it. And I understand that. I'm not making light of that. Some of you could easily drop a lot more than 10. So I'm just saying if we all gave $10 more a week, that would be... $2,000 a week more, that's $100,000 or more a year, $104,000 if you want to be exact, a year. Just the price of a Big Mac meal with large fries, okay? I know that from experience. That price, that price, we could do more in missions, we could do more in ministry, we could do so many more things. And so I just want to challenge you to pray about how God might lead you as you go out with the ushers standing at the doors, how God might lead you to give and those kind of things. Guests, I'll be right over here. I would love to meet you. 
and I would love to talk to you. And if you have any questions, members, if you want to talk to me, just give me a second to meet with the guests and then wait on. I'd love to talk to you. God bless you. At six o'clock tonight at Cropwell, there's a prayer service for teachers and for administrators. And if you want to be a part of that, we'd love to invite you. God bless you. Take care.